It's been two months since the last Broadcast Blue episode, and I've had some received some emails from some folks saying, hey, hey Bruce, when are you going to get back behind that microphone again? I want to let you know I apologize for the, the time off, but it hasn't been relaxing. It hasn't been a vacation, let me tell you. I've driven through 26 states in the last two months doing uh, some training across the country, having a little fun along the way. And in the training sessions that I've been doing, a very popular LEA 1 course is the LEA 1 Advanced Search and Seizure Law course. And in that course, there's a section of it dedicated to the legal aspects of traffic stops. And there's been a lot of been a lot of questions generated as a result of the Rodriguez decision that came out of the Supreme Court back in 2015. A lot of issues now that we didn't have before and looking to these opinions in order to determine what we can and cannot do when it comes to conducting an, an investigation, a criminal investigation on an unrelated matter during a traffic stop. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I've picked another traffic stop case, so let's get to it. Bringing you the latest case law updates on the legal aspects of law enforcement. This is Broadcast Blue. Hello and welcome to this episode of Broadcast Blue. I'm your host, Bruce Allen Barnard, and today I'm going to talk about the case United States of America versus Bernard. Now, this case came out of the Fourth Circuit in uh, June, on June 24th of 2019. It has a, some good issues in it, some good stuff. I like to pick cases that not only kind of keep us on top of the legal aspects of law enforcement, but also work as a refresher, you know, get, have some issues that we can go back and, and look at and and use them as a, a refresher for some other legal concepts. This particular case has an interesting Fifth Amendment issue, one that I see a lot in cases, I'll be honest with you, um, and and see it also on, on if you're ever watching live PD or any of those shows, and you can kind of sit back and see if you can pick out some of these issues. So we're going to have a, we're going to have fun with this one today. We're going to talk about this case and we're going to look at how it was decided and, and, and see what the takeaways are from it. So let me tell you a little bit about the facts and, and what's going on in this case. And the facts of the case take place um, uh, day before my birthday, actually, on December 4th. Back in 2012, it was early in the morning. There was an officer out there in uh, Airedale County um, in North Carolina on I-40, and I-40 running across the, the state there from east to west. So the the officer sees Bernard, he's the defendant in this case, and he is driving in a white Jeep. Now, the notes say, the, the facts of the case say, because Bernard appeared to be driving erratically, Officer Willis decided to do a traffic stop. He thought he might be impaired or he might be fatigued based on this erratic driving. Kind of interestingly, that's a conclusion, right? And it didn't, they didn't say what the facts, didn't articulate the facts that would lead to the conclusion that it was erratic, but we just kind of have to take that as, as a given. Uh, it would have been nice to know exactly what, what uh, the officer observed to, to reach the conclusion that the driving was erratic. And so um, the officer makes the, the, the decision to pull him over. He does the traffic stop. And when Officer Willis approached the Jeep, he said he observed Bernard acting nervously. Um, and so he requested his license and registration. And, and again, acting nervously. We have another conclusion 
without the articulation of any facts, at least in the, in the appellate decision here, to let us know how it was specifically what uh, observations and what physical observations were made in order to reach the conclusion that he was nervous. But again, we're going to take the facts as given. And so we'll take that conclusion as well. And since he was acting nervously when he requested the license and registration, he asked um, it, Bernard if, if he could pat him down to search for weapons. So Bernard consented to the pat down and Officer Willison asked Bernard to join him in the patrol vehicle. And Bernard did so and he sat next to Officer Willis, uh, hand, uncuffed, no handcuffs on, and he sat in the front passenger seat with the officer. So Officer Willis was running all of his information through the system to see if he had any outstanding warrants, doing the types of checks that are fully permissible and fully allowed, that you're allowed to do during a traffic stop. But he was having some problems, technical difficulties with the equipment uh, in his car. And so he had to use his cell phone to call the main office in order to conduct the warrant check. So he calls in, he provides information, and now he's waiting to hear back on this warrant check. And Officer Willis said that the whole process of the warrant check through the use of the cell phone took between five and seven minutes. That's his approximation of the time. And during this time that he's waiting on a response for this, this warrants check, uh, he starts talking. He engages in this casual conversation with the defendant, Bernard, and Bernard uh, informed the officer that he was from Lathrop, California, but he had previously lived in Greensboro there in North Carolina. And Bernard said that he was going to stay in North Carolina for a couple weeks to visit with friends and repair some motorcycles and that he would extend his trip if he found additional motorcycles to repair in North Carolina because business was slow in California. Now, remember, this is December, and North Carolina isn't, uh, this, they don't have the winters like, uh, like we do up in Maine and up in New England, but it certainly gets cold um, in the wintertime, and uh, it's December, and the weather is kind of miserable. And, and Officer Willis said he found that the story was suspicious because the weather in California is, is, permits riding motorcycles year-round, while people generally don't ride motorcycles in the winter in North Carolina. So, I mean, who's going to get their motorcycle fixed? He just, he thought that was a little suspicious. He also asked Bernard if he had any controlled substances or firearms um, in, his, in his car or on the top of his vehicle because the Jeep's got some, some material on top on the, the roof rack there. There's, a, uh, there's some bags and stuff up there. And so he asked him if he had any controlled substances or firearms in or on top of his vehicle, to which Bernard said no. So at this point, the central information system comes back and says, hey, there's no outstanding warrants here. Um, he's, he's, he's clean in the system. And so Officer Willis, at this point, he issued him a warning ticket for what the court describes as other, other hazardous violation, uh, gave him a warning. He gives him his documents, gives him all his paperwork back, and Bernard goes... To, to leave the police car. But as he's opening the door to get out, Officer Willis asks him, um, could, I, could, I, could he answer a few more questions? Could he ask or could, you know, would he be willing to answer a few more questions? And Bernard said yes. So Officer Willis then asked him again if he had any controlled substances. And again, Bernard said no. Officer Willis at this point asked Bernard if he could search the Jeep. And Bernard said yes. 
He informed Officer Willis that he had a rifle in the car, and he signed a consent to search form. And the form authorized the officers to conduct a complete search of the vehicle, including luggage and, and everything inside of it. And after he signed the form, Bernard explained that he stored a weapon in a box on top of the Jeep. So another police officer, Trooper Blanton, arrived on scene and assisted Officer Willis with the search. And in, while searching the vehicle, Officer Willis found a loaded handgun in the front of the Jeep and an unloaded rifle in the back. And Trooper Blanton then went up on top and searched that top luggage rack. And he found these mason jars. He found a number of little mason jars filled with marijuana wrapped in black um, plastic bags and a gun case with the firearm inside. So after Trooper Blanton found the marijuana, at this point, Officer Willis immediately placed Bernard under arrest. And remember, Bernard had been sitting in the front seat, uncuffed in the passenger car during the search. Um, and so he goes and he arrests him. And then uh, without reading in Miranda rights, without or without providing Miranda warnings would be the more proper way to say that, the um, officers asked him about a cargo that they had found. They asked him about the firearms and about the marijuana, and Bernard admitted to possessing three pounds of marijuana. Uh, the officers, they left his Jeep on the side of the highway. No inventory search was performed. They're transporting him to the detention center, and while they're transporting him, Officer Willis advised him, and this is a quote, there may be some people up there that might want to talk to him and that he might want to think about trying to help himself out. So Bernard, in response to this, Bernard stated that he grew the marijuana himself. He was planning on selling it for $500 a jar and that he could make more money selling it in North Carolina than California. And so that was really the reason that he was in, in North Carolina. He also replied he was strapped for cash out of a job, and he said, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And so now we've got these statements against interest in addition to the evidence that's going to come in. Well, you know what's going to happen? We're going to, uh, he's, he's charged. We're going to trial. The defense attorney is going to do what they do and, and file that motion to suppress suppress use the defense f word that's not fair and uh, file that motion to suppress the statements as well as the physical evidence claiming both fourth and fifth amendment violations so we've got the you got the one two motion punch motion to suppress here trying to take out the physical evidence as well as the statements and so um, he's arguing, uh, he argued specifically, uh, his first point was he argued that Officer Willis didn't have a basis to conduct the traffic stop, that there was no evidence of a traffic infraction. And second, he, he argued that law enforcement officers unjustifiably detained Bernard for an extended period of time during the traffic stop. So he's trying to make the argument for a Rodriguez violation. His third argument was that Bernard's consent to search was invalid um, because he did not consent to search uh, the cargo. He consented the, the search of the Jeep, but not the cargo on top of the Jeep. And then his last argument was the lack of Miranda warnings required suppression of all his statements because uh, what when he was asked, when he was told by Officer Willis that there may be some people up there that might want to talk to him and he might want to think about trying to help himself out, that that constituted a custodial interrogation. And the district court denied all the motions to suppress, um, and, and both on the Fourth and the Fifth Amendment uh, grounds. The, the case went to trial, uh, and Bernard was convicted. 
of possession of marijuana with intent to distribute. Uh, that's, a, that's a Title 21 offense under United States Code Section 841. And uh, possession of a firearm in furtherance of a drug trafficking crime, which is in Title 18, a violation of Title 18 in the United States Code in Section 924. Um, the, the court entered its judgment, and he was uh, given an aggregate sentence of 62 months imprisonment with a five-year term supervised release so he's he's going to file an appeal he's going to jail for a while quite a while here he's going he files this appeal and um and so now this is going to go up to the fourth circuit to hear these issues on appeal um, that the the defense attorney is is going to bring up and take it uh, appeal that district court determination so the fourth circuit starts um, as they always do or as they typically do they always start with a recital what i call the recitals where they recite the law they're going to do these string sites with one thing after another um, to to set the basis to to lay the legal groundwork for the decision that's about to come and in this case is fairly uh, uh, common very routinely they they did exactly that the the court notes that a traffic stop itself is a seizure under the fourth amendment and it cites the supreme court decision wren versus united states which is one of those blue key cases that you ought to be familiar with um, and the court said when they examine a a, a traffic stop is as lawful they begin with the analysis when a vehicle is pulled over for investigation of a traffic violation and uh, when the police have no further need to control the scene and inform the driver and passengers they're free to leave. So we're going through these uh, recitals again. The court said because a traffic stop is more akin to an investigative detention than a custodial arrest, the court applies the Terry versus Standard Ohio in determining the constitutionality of the stop. And that's an interesting, you know, we kind of fly through these things, but that's a really interesting point. Um, and maybe I'll just take a second to expound upon that a little. They said a traffic stop is more akin to an investigative detention than a custodial arrest. Even, um, even though the investigative detention only requires uh, reasonable suspicion, um, and sometimes you have actual probable cause with a traffic, uh, that there's been a traffic offense, uh, like someone who's speeding or, or uh, who's um, crossing the fog line or the center line failure to maintain uh, in the stay in their lane uh, but trap most traffic offenses are non-arrestable offenses and so all you're going to do is briefly detain someone in order to issue that citation and summons so they're saying hey look if you had to compare a traffic stop to either an investigative detention a terry stop or um, a, a custodial arrest a traffic stops more like a terry stop than it is a custodial arrest so we're going to use the terry standard in determining the constitutionality of the stop and so in doing that when evaluating the, the stop uh, terry stop and our traffic stop the court considers two things first whether the officer's actions are justified at their inception so in other words is there a legal basis for the stop itself and secondly, whether subsequent actions are reasonably related in the scope of circumstances that justify the stop. Are the, we got this, the scope issues, always got these Fourth Amendment uh, scope issues, and then this is, uh, this is the, the same in, in this type of situation. And so we've got these two prongs, whether it's justified at the inception and whether the scope is um, reasonably, the actions are reasonably related 
to the scope of the circumstances that justified the stop. The first prong regarding whether the actions are justified at their inception um, is satisfied whenever it's lawful for police to detain an automobile and the occupants pending an inquiry into a vehicular violation. And for that proposition, the, um, the court cites a, another Supreme Court blue key decision, the Arizona versus Johnson decision from 2009. And then the court says that the second prong is satisfied when the seizure is limited to the length of the time reasonably necessary to issue the driver a citation and determine that the driver is entitled to operate his vehicle. So this is, um, this is the, the reasonably what time is reasonable? How much, what's the length of time that's reasonably necessary in order to conduct all the checks, ask the permissible questions, and run the permissible checks and issue the driver a citation? And then the court noted, and this is harking back to, to Rodriguez, even though the Rodriguez decision isn't cited at all, um, that's the, the statement the court next says is a police officer can extend the duration of a routine traffic stop only if the driver gives consent or if there is a reasonable suspicion that illegal activity is occurring. So then that's, um, even though it's not cited, that's exactly what uh, Rodriguez stood for. That's the proposition that Rodriguez stood for. And so they say we have to look at a totality of the circumstances, determine if there's any particularized and objective uh, basis for suspecting this legal wrongdoing, if they're going to try to determine whether or not there's reasonable suspicion. So now they've laid all the law out. They've, they've, these, these little statements and these citations, boom, 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 boom. Here's the legal framework. This is the rule of law. Now we need to apply the facts to the rule of law. They start with these Fourth Amendment issues, and they start looking at it. And they said, Officer Willis um, stated that Bernard was driving radically and that he initiated a traffic stop in order to ensure that he wasn't impaired or fatigued. The district court had found that testimony to be credible, and they deferred to the um, the the district court's determination and uh, obviously they also went up whenever an officer observes the traffic offense however minor he has probable cause to stop the driver of the vehicle so he saw this erratic uh, driving uh, which uh, formed the basis for uh, this this traffic stop and the court said officer willis had probable cause here due to the fact that he observed bernard driving erratically and therefore this first prong of the terry test is satisfied and the court went on to say the second prong of terry is satisfied because the traffic stop here lasted a reasonable amount of time and there was no indication that officer willis took longer than necessary to retrieve information regarding the outstanding warrants now the uh, the machine didn't work. Well, he had some type of technology in the car with the laptop. It doesn't exactly say what it was, but he had to resort to a secondary method of running the warrants check, which was the use of the cell phone, which probably added a little bit uh, more time. But it, you know, but it wasn't unreasonable. He went to that. He, his his primary system wasn't working. He went to the second system, and the court said, "Look, there was no indication." Um, that he took any longer than was necessary to retrieve the information. While he was waiting to hear back, 
while he was waiting to hear back from dispatch on the warrants check is when he had this conversation and he was asking questions. And so the questions that he was asking, when he, he asked, he asked specifically asked questions about whether there was, uh, there were drugs in the car. And that is not related to the stop. That is clearly not a related question. But since he was waiting for the response to come back, asking that question did not extend the stop. It did not create any extension of the stop by asking that particular question. And also, um, uh, the, the court noted um, that uh, he, at, once he, he issued the citation, that it, the stop continued only because Bernard provided consent for the vehicle search, um, and therefore um, the, the stop was extended based on consent. Remember, the, the key thing that we're to, from the Rodriguez decision, and as earlier indicated in this decision, a police officer can only extend the duration of a routine traffic stop if the driver gives consent or there's reasonable suspicion that an illegal activity is occurring. There's a, there's the court missed something here and I want to point it out because it's really important when you're reading all these decisions and I go through these go through these traffic stop decisions um, with a, a fine tooth comb if you're a, if you subscribe to the the blue flash you're going to see all of these cases and I've even given their own keyword for traffic stop and all these because there's so many of them where the courts are getting down to the nitty-gritty we've had some cases out of the 11th circuit to where a person was asked a question that extended uh, that extended the uh, stop for 30 seconds and the court held that everything that happened after that was a basically a rodriguez violation it's fourth amendment violation based on the rodriguez rule um and we had another decision out of the 11th Circuit about the same time, and um, and the result was different, and it was because the person, the officer asked for consent to ask a question, and that is exactly what happened here, and the court skipped right over it, and the Fourth Circuit made absolutely no mention of it, but it's very, very important, and so I want to point, that, point out, remember the facts as Bernard was going to get out of the car after he was handed all of his documents back and as he was going to get out of the car he was asked by Officer Willis which was a it was a very smart uh, kudos to Officer Willis it's be played it perfectly that's exactly what you're supposed to do he said can I ask you some more questions can I ask you some questions or uh, he, he was attempting to to get consent from Bernard to engage in a verbal discussion and he did and if you recall um, in the as I read you the facts uh, he specifically asked uh, Bernard um, he, he specifically asked him or he you know, inquired as to whether or not he could ask him more questions. Let's see exactly um, what the word was. He, he asked Bernard if he could answer a few more questions, and Bernard said yes. So there's the exact verbiage. That's a consent. That is asking for permission to inquire further after the traffic stop was over. It's really important, I think, to point out that there was a consent to extend the stop before there was consent to search. There was a consent to question. There was a consent... Um, to basically to keep him there voluntarily I mean it was a but he, he asked him to stay he didn't tell him to stay like the, the officer did in the Rodriguez decision hey don't go anywhere uh, no he, he asked him you know hey would you answer some more questions and Bernard said yes and so at that point when Bernard remained after the traffic stop was totally finished 
it was from it was as a result of the consent right from the get-go and so then the court doesn't make any mention of it that I really uh, that's very very important and I wanted to point that out it was after it was after he had he he wanted to ask Bernard more questions it was after officer Willis um, told him that he would he would uh, like to ask him some more questions it was um, at that point um, he asked him again if he had any controlled substances in the car and, and, and Bernard said no, and that was when Officer Willis asked him if he could uh, search the Jeep. And that's when consent was given to search the Jeep. And at that point, uh, the consent, uh, the consent uh, form and the, the verbal and written consent was given. So really, really important, those Fourth Amendment dominoes, you've got to line them up. And, um, and although uh, the court didn't do it, I've, I wanted to do it for you because it's mentioned in the facts. It's right there, and it's an important part. The, the traffic stop was initially extended as a result of the consent to ask questions. And after that, very shortly after that, so it's easily, easily skipped over, um, but uh, it was after that that the consent to search was requested. So that's an important point, and I wanted to make it. So that's it for the Fourth Amendment. All the dominoes lined up right, and... Um, and uh, did a, they did a great job on that. And now we're gonna, once he was arrested, uh, they had the probable cause to arrest him. And now we've got the arrest taking place and he's under arrest. And after, um, after, he's, after he's formally placed under arrest, he is, he's asked questions. Um, he, they asked him about the cargo they found. They went up and they asked him about those three pounds of marijuana. Now he's got, you know, they've got some constructive possession issues, don't they? I mean, he's the only one driving the car and he's in the car and the he's got luggage and stuff on top. So it wouldn't be too terribly difficult to establish that anyway, I, I don't believe. But, um, you know, they're trying to, since it's not in his hands and not in his pockets, they're trying to establish that he knew what, what, what he had. He, he knew the character and nature of the, the marijuana that was up there. And so that the constructive possession, the elements of that and, and the... And the trying to gather the evidence for that, which was what they needed to do, um, was very, very important. But the problem is he's under arrest. So you have custody, um, you have a known LEO, and then you've got questions that would be, that are likely to incriminate someone if they answer them. And so um, that's the definition of an interrogation. So you have a custodial interrogation by a known LEO. There's your Miranda math, right? There's your three requirements for Miranda be, to be triggered. And you know, we talk a lot about what constitutes custody, what constitutes, you know, whether or not a person's a known LEO, and what constitutes an interrogation. In this, in this particular one, those, those, those first two prongs are clearly met. He's clearly in custody, although um, uh, custody, a person doesn't have to be formally under arrest for Miranda to be triggered. They have to be in arrest-like custody. In this situation, he was formally under arrest, so there's absolutely no doubt that Miranda, uh, for custody, um, for Miranda purposes, he's under in custody, and he knows these are law enforcement officers. That's really clear. And when he's asked specifically about the the marijuana that was found in the jars, that's that's interrogation, and he wasn't Mirandized. But then in the car. Um, while Officer Willis was transporting him, uh, he, they asked him, um, you know, told him that, he, that the, folks, the folks back at the station are going are gonna to want him to answer some questions, and he's probably going to want to help himself out. Those types of, um, you know, that type of being friendly. There may be some people up there that might want to talk to you, and you might want to think about trying to help yourself out. And, um, and the government argued that that was not 
an interrogation. The government argued that um, that this uh, they were cordial, that they weren't. That there's no coercion that took place, and um, and and therefore that it didn't constitute interrogation for, uh, for to trigger Miranda. The court, um, well, and the, the obviously the defense attorney said that that it did that it was the the functional equivalent of questioning, and and therefore it, it triggered. Um, the requirement for the Miranda warning, and and so the um, the court goes. The court talks about this and some interesting quotes. They talk about what does it take to have an interrogation, and basically it doesn't require express questioning. It also includes any words or actions that the police should know are reasonably likely to elicit an incriminating response from the suspect. And then they, they talk about, they, they cited the Supreme Court decision back from 1980, the Rhode Island versus Ennis uh, case, another a blue key case. And so, um, so the, the question they have to answer is, was the statement um, made by the, the, the officer, it wasn't really a question per se, did, was it the functional equivalent of interrogation? Um, the, uh, the government argued that um, that in light of the friendly conversation that was taking place between Willis and Bernard, the statement didn't have any of the sting of a traditionally coercive custodial interrogation. But the court said, we find this argument unpersuasive. The American idiom, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, seems apt here. And so the, the government seemed to argue that the coercion had to be fueled by fear, and it couldn't, with a friendly rapport, there couldn't be an existence of coercion. But the court noted that as it was discussed in the Miranda case, coercion can just as readily be built on hope as it can um, on fear. And the court held that the, the statement that was made by the officer was likely to result um, because Bernard uh, perceived that they were, the officers were on his side. It, it could have uh, created this hope, and, and his response would be trying to be uh, this uh, expectation of leniency if he was cooperative. And so, um, and so the court said this was the functional equivalent of interrogation, and therefore it triggered the need for Miranda's protection. I know when I was at Fletzi, we talked about this a lot. What does it take to constitute interrogation? I used to, I used to tell my uh, students, uh, talk about Will Smith, any of my former students out there, I know you're thinking right now, right? Don't get jiggy with it. That was my, uh, my constant refrain when it comes. Don't try and, whenever you've got officers in a, in a car and they're talking to someone who's under arrest um, and, and they end up confessing, um, I mean, the courts really, really look at that. Remember, you know, we've, we have cases where officers are talking to each other, and then the defendant in the back chimes in, and they're saying, well, we didn't ask him any questions. We were just talking. But it was clear that the entire conversation between the officers was intended to elicit a response. You know, just uh, don't get jiggy with it. When the, when the person's in the car, um, and uh, you're going you're gonna to have discussion, discussions with them, uh, if it's... If it's you know likely to elicit an incriminating response, then it's going to be determined to be the functional equivalent of interrogation, requiring Miranda. And I, I mentioned you know watching the those, the cop TV shows earlier. I had to I had to tell you, and I've been doing that for a long, long time. I did it with my daughters for a number of years. And, um, 
we're having some quality time there when they took court TV off the air and put true TV on there and started running episodes of cops. And now with live PD, you see it all the time, right? I've, I've seen a lot of Fifth Amendment violations where if someone goes up, they arrest a person, and then the officers start asking me, why did you do that? Man, why did you do that? And they're, they're um, you know, they're kind of assuming this community caretaking role, and I fully understand uh, where they're coming from but when you've got someone to someone under arrest if you want to ask them questions um, about criminal activity and remember it's not um, Miranda's not uh, offense specific if you are if you're going to ask them any questions that are likely to elicit an incriminating response after you've arrested them you really need to Mirandize them they need to be warned before you start asking them. That's why, you know, you ask someone when you've got a reasonable suspicion they've been driving under the influence, right? Um, you see them weaving within their lane, doing 35 and a 50, and, and uh, you, you see that actions. You pull the person over, and you've got this reasonable suspicion they've been driving impaired, and, and what do you say, you know? Um, how many drinks have you had tonight? You don't have to Mirandize someone for that because it's not arrest-like custody. Well, what if they tell you they haven't had anything to drink? And then you continue with your FSTs and you go into the, the breathalyzer test and they blow a, a .14. And so now you're going to arrest them for driving under the influence. Uh, they're nearly twice the legal limit. You're not going to say, are you sure you hadn't had anything to drink tonight? Because at that point... You've got arrest-like custody, and you've moved past the point that you can do that. So uh, just don't uh, don't forget. Don't forget when you've got arrest-like custody, um, you cannot ask questions that are likely to elicit an incriminating response, and that includes words or actions that are the functional equivalent of interrogation. So that's a good review for a Fifth Amendment. Don't get those a whole lot. Most of these cases are all about Fourth Amendment stuff, but there we had a good, we had a little bit of a Fourth Amendment review with respect to extending traffic stops as well as a Fifth Amendment. He had a twofer on that one are coming back. So I want to thank you so much for joining me. It's been half an hour. That's the time that I take to do these things uh, typically. I am off to Fort Myers uh, this week, going to be in Fort Myers doing a session of the Leah One Advanced Search and Seizure Law. And um, and then I'm, I'm off again, taking off again. We've got going to be in a whole bunch of places coming up. Going to be in Hampton, Virginia. Going to be in uh, uh, down in West Palm Beach, Florida. Going to be in Sanford, Florida. Port Orange, Florida. We got all all kinds of uh, courses that we're going to line up. We're going to be teaching. Uh, we're going out to. That's right. Going to Pensacola. Uh, going to be headed to Texas. I'll see you in Texas. So uh, if you've got uh, any tr uh, training needs, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to, to look into LEA1. Go to our website, www.lea.one. Our name is our website address, LEA.1. And uh, you can check out the schedule, and you can link over to Eventbrite and register for classes, or you can uh, host. We're, we're looking now. We're doing our schedule out into fiscal year 2020. And so if you're a training manager and you'd like to have us come out and do the advanced uh, search and seizure course, which has been really popular, we will. Looks like we're going to be um, doing a couple of the eight-hour legal aspects of traffic stops, which really dives into all of these issues regarding asking questions and morphing a traffic stop into an investigative detention. Uh, it's a full eight-hour course just on traffic stops, and it looks like that's picking up uh, a little bit of popularity. We're going to be doing a few of those as well. So uh, 
don't hesitate to, to drop us a line um, and uh, let us know if we can uh, help you with any of your training needs in the legal aspects of law enforcement. Thank you so much uh, for what you do. Stay safe. And we'll be back. It'll be a lot shorter period of time between now and the next Broadcast Blue episode. It won't be, it won't be another two months. But thanks for joining us, and I hope to see you again real soon. This presentation is provided for purely academic purposes. I'm fond of saying I'm a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. And what I mean by that is that I do not provide formal legal advice through these presentations. No part of this presentation is offered, nor should it be construed as legal advice. If you need formal legal advice regarding any part of this presentation or have legal questions, you should consult with your attorney.